Last week we looked at, uh, at the fact that we are to connect everything to the gospel. Everything about our lives, our identity, everything that, that, everything that is in our lives and has to do with our lives is to be connected to the gospel. And, and this involved just more than just us as individuals. We, we, we live in a very individualistic culture. We live in a very individualistic society. We, the sin inside of us, we, we tend to only or primarily think about ourselves. When we come to passages, we tend to interpret them in light of what does this mean for me? What does this say for me? We, we tend to interpret things very, very, I guess, myopically. And, and what we have to see here is that what this is ultimately pointing to, what Paul is ultimately pointing to, even back to chapter, I mean to verse 1 of chapter 3, it's a heavenly mindset. It's not an earthly mindset. It's learning to see things as the Lord would want His people to see things, to interpret things as the Lord would want His people to interpret things. Again, going back to the gospel, the, the why the what behind everything that we see here, have seen, wills, it's the gospel. We've got to connect it back to the gospel. We've got to connect it back to our identity as the people of God. We, we can't separate any, any, anything that we see here cannot be separated from the fact who you are as a believer. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you belong to the People of God, you've been adopted into Abraham's family, if you will. The people of God. And everything, everything that we see here has more to do with the unity of that corporate people than it does you individually. Listen, unity is a big deal. There, there's, there's 200 people in here with all different agendas backgrounds, race, all that stuff. Unity is a big deal and must be preserved at all times. And that's why we saw last week the emphasis on forgiveness. Listen, are we going to offend each other? If we do life together long enough, are we, is, there, is it probable, not possible, is it probable that we're going to offend each other? Absolutely yes. Think about it in your own homes. There may be what, two to one to two to... Sometimes I offend myself. But, but listen, in my own home, even if it was just Karen and I, never mind two little ones, listen, somebody's going to hurt the other person's feelings. Somebody's going to offend somebody. And, and listen, church unity is a big deal. We're going to offend each other, but unity. What, what he's saying here is forget you. You died a long time ago when you accepted Christ. It's about the glory of God. This is about the body of Christ representing Christ. This is about, about, we saw a couple weeks ago, this is about you giving others what you first received in the gospel, namely forgiveness and love. Forgiveness. He says it, forgive others, what's the measure? As you have been forgiven. We looked at Matthew 18. Someone, a believer who doesn't, who was unwilling to forgive and move on and put it aside at the very least, ought to feel a great deal of uncertainty 
in regard to their relationship. Because it says in Matthew 18, you will be forgiven just as you forgive others. John 13, the mark of a Christian is love. That involves forgiveness. We saw that. We looked at Luke, the passage in Luke, with the, the parable of, the, of the, the immoral woman and the Pharisee. And he, says, he said, Jesus said, this woman has not stopped loving on me and lavishing love on me the whole time she's been here. Why? Because she's been forgiven much. You Pharisee on the other hand, they haven't done anything. Why? Because you wouldn't see yourself as a big sinner. And he says, he who has been forgiven much, catch this, loves much. You see how they're, inter- you see how they're connected? And it all goes back to the gospel. Listen, an unforgiving Christian is an oxymoron. A Christian who causes strife and stirs up strife is an oxymoron. Forgive. And I, I, I don't, it, this is very personal to, personal to me right now in, in the life of this church and as a pastor. And, and you might sense that. The, one of the greatest enemies to this church is disunity. Disunity. It, it, and it's rooted in immaturity. The, th- the thing I notice about immature people is they fight a lot. Why? Because they're selfish. They only care about themselves. And, and, and it's disunity. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, grow up. That's why he says in verse 10, grow up to renewed knowledge according to the image of one who created you. Understand who you are. Understand this is more than about just you. This is about it. the corporate, even beyond this local body of believers. There are millions of Christians, the universal body of Christ, even Christians who have already gone to, gone to heaven. This is about the corporately, even the universal body and the picture of us in this world and the representation of our King. And how we love each other, how we forgive each other. I mean, think about that. Think about people who are unbelievers right now. Do you really think they'd want to be a part of something that was chaotic? A bunch of people that didn't love each other, that refused to forgive each other? Look, they can get that where they are now. And many times, unbelievers are more forgiving than believers because we become arrogant. And, And this response is, we don't forgive each other. We, we have to, as a people, again, die to self. Understand that this is not about you individually. You play a part of something bigger than yourselves, namely, namely the body of Christ. And unity is an immensely big deal. And thanksgiving is an immensely big deal. You notice, I've noticed as well, the thank, thankful people are usually forgiving people. People full of gratitude are usually, are usually pretty, pretty forgiving of others. It's the arrogance, it's the lack of forgiveness, it's the immaturity that usually, again, that usually creates. I mean, just this past Friday, we, Sarah Grace has something going on and we checked her out of school early. We went, we were part of it, checked her out of school early. We went and made a hospital visit and Sarah was awesome at the hospital. We were there a long time. So I said, look, let's, let's go get you a milkshake just to say thank you. And so we gave her a milkshake. And then later that evening, I did something for Bradley. And Sarah's like, what about me? I'm like, what about you? 
What about that milkshake earlier that Brad didn't get? And, 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 and we've done that before where I'll take one of them to, make, to have breakfast. Oh, now Bradley just found out he didn't get a milkshake. Sorry. Cat's out of the bag. He just looked at mom like, what? Forgot. Sorry. I forgot you were in here. Aren't you supposed to be serving somewhere? Seriously. Now he's got, now, now Lucy's got some explaining to do, huh? But, but no, I mean, I'll take one of them to breakfast and the other, we went to camp one time. We had breakfast on the way to, to camp and I, I, I had accidentally left the bag in the car and Karen and Sarah come pick up the car and Sarah's like, what? They had McDonald's without me? Yeah. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. A couple weeks ago, we had Chick-fil-A without you too on our way to school. So, and you know what? Sarah and I do stuff by ourselves without Brad. And you know what drives, you know what drives that? A lack of gratitude. You know what drives that? Immaturity. You know what drives that? Selfishness. Selfishness. And, 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 and my little family is a microcosm. Your little family is a microcosm of just think bigger. And, and the number one, the number one th- thing Satan wants to do in this church is cause disunity. I'm telling you, the number one thing. Whether it's theological, whether it's, whether it's practical, or whatever, disunity. And, and that's why Paul goes on and on, and that's why I've taken these verses in little, in little couplets. I, I get it, we've been in Colossians a long time, but I, I, I am seeing Colossians in a fresh new way. I, I am learning in a fresh new way, and, and I, I have a love for this book that, that honestly I did not have I saw glimpses of it, and that's why we went here, but a fresh new way. It's becoming one of my favorites because it's just so practical and rich. Literally every verse. And look at verse 15 and six through 17. He continues again, put on love. Look what he says, after forgiveness and love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. The main point, again, that Paul is building on, not only our identity, not only connecting everything but went to the gospel, but when we connect everything in our lives to the gospel, what Paul says is this, your life as a believer will be marked by two things, peace and thankfulness. When you truly grasp the grace of God in your lives, when you truly grasp and have an awe of our own salvation, have an awe of being transferred, as Colossians 1.13 says in 14, from a kingdom of darkness to a domain of light. When we truly grasp that, we're thankful. And there's a peace about our lives. Because we've been, we've been given a position that we can't lose. And we've been given it by grace. We realized there was nothing I did to earn it or merit it. It was at, at, the very, at the very opposite is true. I did not earn it and I did not merit it and yet God gave it to me. 
I'm not sure what else would create, if we really grasp that, what else would fuel Thanksgiving more than that? To be given something that not only did you not deserve, you deserved the total opposite, and yet God gave you what, you what He wanted to give you rather than what you deserved. Thankfulness. And He's given it to us in an abundance. And, and all of this comes, again, I, you, through a deeper understanding of the gospel. I, I can tell you, maybe shamedly, but not probably in the last four years, my understanding of the gospel has increased infinitely. You know, the things of, of Scripture, just having to stand up here before you and, and preach them and to give a defense for them and, 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 and to, to, to walk through these things. Listen, I lived way too long as a Christian with a, with a very, very shallow understanding of the gospel. And that understanding of the gospel, you know who it's centered around mainly? Chris Basham. And, and that's, as I grow, and, and, as, and I think the, the Bible relays, I want us all to grow. I, wanna, I think that I'm probably not alone in that. That the gospel is not something that we get saved by and then we set aside and we look for something else to live by. Like now I need something else now that I'm a believer. No, no, we need to connect everything to the gospel. That's what he's saying. And, and ultimately all of these are a product of understanding the gospel in a deeper, deeper way. And, and Colossians comes back to this over and over and over again. Christ's supremacy and God's sovereignty lead to thankfulness. And they lead to peace. A sovereign king is a good thing, especially when that king is good. Perfectly good. Peace. And thankfulness. A, a salvation that he's offered that can't be, can't be taken. And, and again, you see on your handout what Paul is saying here is that as our awareness, the word is awareness, as our awareness of God's grace in our own life increases, so does our thankfulness. When we understand that everything that we have above nothing is, is attributable to grace. John 1, I think it's 16. And of His fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. But, but seeing God's grace, you see it there the second part. Seeing God's grace in our own life leads to thanksgiving which spills out in worship. And, and it spills out into giving, seeing that God gets the glory for everything we do. Six times in this short little letter, Paul centers our thoughts on the fullness of Christ, the completeness of Christ, and he emphasizes it with the result being thankfulness. Just in verses 15, 16, and 17, the word thankful in verse 15, the word thankfulness in verse 16, the word thanks in 17. He can't quit saying the result, the fruit, of God's grace of the gospel is thankfulness. Never mind verses chapter 1, 3, chapter 1, 12, 2, 7. We'll see it again in chapter 4, verse 2. Everything is brought back to thankfulness and gratitude. Those are always marks of a mature believer. A mature believer who grasps their own salvation, who is grasping the gospel. And the lack of these things, the lack of gratitude, the lack of peace... Those are marks of spiritual immaturity, not understanding the gospel. 
I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying you haven't fully comprehended the effects of the gospel. And the result of the gospel and its work in our lives is thankfulness. It's thankfulness. Seeing Christ as supreme. Seeing that He holds all things together by the power and the counsel of His will. Seeing that He's rescued us. Seeing all this stuff, the result is thankfulness. And thankfulness, you'll see it on your handout, it takes our thoughts away from our circumstances. It takes our thoughts away from anything we've done and it focuses our thoughts on Christ. That really is the challenge to being thankful. Agreed? You're admitting, you're admitting that someone else did something that you couldn't do or didn't do. Agreed? That, that's why our flesh sometimes... I, I was reading some studies about, about narcissism and, and how this week and how narcissistic our society is to the point where people don't even say thank you anymore. Why? Because in humility, you're admitting that someone else did something for you, met a need for you that you could not meet on yourself. And so they were saying, statistics show that our society no longer, no longer is a society marked by thank you. Thank, thank you. I mean, Chick-fil-A's caught on to that. That's why it's my pleasure. It's, that's why it's so different. It's so different because nobody does that anymore. And, and, and statistics bear out. And, and gratitude and thankfulness is a humongous weapon against Satan and his attacks. Being happy in God no matter what. Being satisfied. Look at verse 15. Letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in, again, one body. You see the unity? Be thankful. No matter what life may bring, and I understand there are families in here uh, even my own, who have been through things that I hate. But no matter what life may bring, we have in Christ a constant source of peace and thankfulness because of what Christ brings to the situation and what that situation cannot do to our status and position in Christ. Again, we read it, neither life nor death nor principalities nor things present nor things to come can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Satan's best attempts, believer, cannot separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Peace, thankfulness. Why? Because you're secure. Grasp that. And I, and I hear me, I'm in the process of grasping that. And that's what he's saying. Let that peace of Christ, verse 15, rule in your hearts. A Christ-centered, focused life. And when we allow, you see it there, when we allow God and who we are in Christ to govern our lives, to govern our lives, we can have peace no matter the circumstances. And the word picture here is cool. I'm a big word guy. I have books in my office that are just focused on words. The, 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 the word rule here it literally think about this it literally it literally would speak to an umpire it literally is speaking think about that what does an umpire do an umpire calls the shots an umpire says safe not safe an umpire takes things back to the rules and says hey here it is an umpire governs the game i mean look at what what paul is saying is the peace of christ your position in Christ as a believer ought to be the umpire for your whole life. That ought to be the decisive factor in all your actions, in all your interactions with others. 
The peace of Christ ought to be that which governs everything. Who am I in Christ? Christ is for me. That truth governs everything about our lives. It's like what Paul says in, I think it's 2 Corinthians 10, round about maybe 14. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Go back to who you are in Christ. Let that govern. And again, with an eye towards unity. And this is not, this is not, again, this is not a peace in our hearts that people use to to make right or wrong decisions. I felt a peace about it, therefore I said yes, I didn't feel... Listen, that's not what he's saying here. Don't use this verse for that. This is talking about, this this is about unity. This is about what could divide us. Every single one, we have different convictions, backgrounds, we view things differently. Listen, we're all growing in a knowledge of our word. We're all at a different place in that journey. Creates, can create some disunity. And yet it's the peace of Christ. Listen, no church will ever believe exactly the same thing about everything. No church will ever share all the same convictions about everything. It would be foolish It would be naive of me to think that. And you're talking about a guy who loves unity. I hate it when people are at odds. But no church is ever going to believe everything the same. We're we're pursuing that. That doesn't mean that this verse, that this Bible is up for for debate. It means that we're all in a process of, of learning what it says and understanding what it says. There's one truth. There is a truth. We're seeking that. But but we're not always but but specifically where this not not really doctrine I don't think is even what Paul is referring to here. I think this is drawing ourselves to those to those liberties even in the Christian faith where we don't have clear commands. I, I think this is like 1 Corinthians 6 12, where he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. It's those areas that we can become really, really divided. And if we live a life simply, if we make those decisions simply based on ourself, guess what's going to happen? Disunity. Because you're living for self, and you're living for self, and you're living for self, and you're living for self. Disunity. Versus all of us are looking at the gospel and, and making those decisions based on the gospel. Now there's one foundational truth that all of us are making our decisions based on. You see it? And it's the peace. Let the peace of Christ. Again, Paul, Paul in, in Romans chapter 14, which is a verse, on, a, a passage on liberties. It's a, it's a verse on principles of, con- of conscience. It's a principle on where people had differ, differing convictions about things. Listen to what he says right in the middle. He says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace, and the building up of one another. You get that? He's saying in the middle of our liberties, in the middle of our, what, in this case, it was whether or not to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. It, you know, it, there are other things today that cause much division. But you know what he says? He says, pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. He says, you know what, when you're, when you're in those gray areas that we love to live in and hide in, he's saying, listen, it's not about you. 
Even there, the, the question we ask, we come to these things and we say, we say, well, can I? Well, Paul is saying, look, all things are lawful, but not all things. But he says, not all things are profitable. The question is not even can I. The better question is should I? And the better question than that is, what impact would me doing this have on the unity of the body of Christ? It, it takes the focus totally off of self and it puts it on peace. It puts it on thankfulness. It puts it on who you are in Christ. Even Romans 12, where he's talking about your, loving your enemies, he says, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Even to the point of loving your enemies. Romans 12. Why? That Christ would be seen in us as supreme, unrivaled. And what he's saying is when you go back and think that, that Christ, the peace of Christ and our position to be the umpire, literally unity, and you see it there, unity and peace and the glory of God and our new identity in Christ is to be the umpire of our life, not self. Not self. Corporately. What is good for us corporately? And, and, and it all goes back to what we saw in verses 15 through 20 of chapter 1, the lordship of Christ. The fact that God is sovereign, that He is good, those ought to bring great peace to our lives. And again, the result, he says, and be thankful. The result is thankfulness. Looking at the gospel, no matter what we face, no matter, and, 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 and be thankful. This is what he says in, a, in, a, in Ephesians uh, 5.20 and 1 Thessalonians uh, 5.18. Be thankful in all things. Be thankful for all things. Why? Because of who you are in Christ. Because of God's sovereignty, His total sovereignty. And, and He's calling us again in connecting it to the gospel to live in a way that is in a manner that is worthy of our position in Christ. Worthy of our position in Christ. Protecting unity. And you see it on your handout. As we grow in Christ and truth, we become mature, sturdy, steadfast, able to abound in thankfulness. Again, thankfulness is a, is a mark of maturity. It's a mark of somebody who really, really, really understands the, uh, the gospel and its effects. Again, not only as an individual, but as a body. What unites us as a body is that we have all been we are living as reconciled people to a holy God. That ought to great, create tremendous humility amongst us, but it ought to create in that humility peace and thankfulness. Again, thankfulness and especially thankfulness, but those don't exist where there's arrogance and pride. Entitlement exists where there's arrogance and pride. Not thankfulness. And gospel, the gospel has been designed by God in such a way that 1 Corinthians 1.31, that if we're to boast, we're going to boast in God. We have nothing to boast about. And again, that's why, that's why so often in this letter, gospel-centered, gospel-fueled, again, leads to humility. That's why he takes everything back time and time and time again to thankfulness. Because even that spirit of thankfulness reflects, is a reflection on our Heavenly Father. 
Why can you have peace? Why can you have thankfulness in these situations? Because I have a Father who is sovereign and good. He has said He is for me, not against me, and He has promised me that nothing can separate. And in giving thanks to God, you'll see it there on your handout, giving thanks to God is a means by which we can do everything to the glory of God. He's building to what we'll see in verse 17. He's building on even what he said in verse 11, that Christ would be all in all. How is Christ shown to be all in all in our lives? With peace and thankfulness. Even in Philippians 2. Listen to what he says in Philippians 2, verse 14. Do all things, all things, without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, listen, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Ultimately, it's not about you. It's about the reflection of our king. It's about unity amongst the body. Huge implications for us being thankful. Even verse 16, he goes on, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing how? With thankfulness in your hearts to God. I mean, think about that. I wanted to ask you a question. I mean, think about this for a moment. Ask you a question. Can you honestly, where you are right now, can you say that the word of God richly dwells within you? Richly dwells within you. Not that you know some of the word. Not that you know a couple verses. Richly. If we're going to live with unity, if we're going to live in a way that there's peace and there's thankfulness amongst us, the word of God cannot play a superficial, it cannot play a passing role in our lives. It's got to be what governs. The word there, I mean, Paul is saying, again, connect everything. The word there literally is controlled. It's got to control you. It's got to be allowed to penetrate every area of your life, that every area of our life has to humbly be brought under submission to the word. Connect everything back to the gospel through the word. Again, not that the word takes up temporary residence, that you really, when you have a question, you don't go, no, no, or when I need to prove something, no, no, no. Does it richly dwell within you at all times? The Word is not like a vacation home where, where you go there for a week in the summer and you hang out and then you go back to your normal life when that week is over. Again, that's not dwelling. That's called temporary residence. That's called vacationing. The Word of God says it's ta- to dwell means to take up permanent residence. The owner, the master of a home dwells in the home. Permanent residence. And, and God's Word has got to take up permanent residence in our heart. And, and, and John, last night, I was talking to John, and he, he brought up something, and, and he had looked up this passage, and, it, and it, I think he said the Word also means to influence. And I thought, I thought about that last night. I thought about that's a Think about this. You, you compare this passage in Colossians 3.16 is a parallel passage to Ephesians 5.18. He says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The word there means controlled. When, when alcohol fills you, what begins to influence you and dictate and call the shots? The alcohol. If you drink too much and you get behind the wheel 
and you get arrested, what are they going to charge you with? Driving under the what? Influence. You see, I thought about that last night, and I thought about, think about Christians. We ought to be, we ought to be guilty of living under the influence of the Word. The same way that we fill ourselves up with alcohol and, and the alcohol begins to control us, Paul is literally saying, if you'd fill yourself up with the Word, you would begin automatically. Because see, when you're drunk, you don't have to think about it. The alcohol automatically controls you. You fill yourself up with the Word, guess what begins to control you? We would be guilty of not being cute, but I thought about it last night, L-U-I, living under the influence. All times, richly dwell within us. That the Word would control us. Not, not swooping in and taking a bite here and there and then going about your way and sweeping it. No, no, day by day by day, living under the influence of the Word. But, but you see, the point is, again, even there, it's not about me being Bible answer guy. It's about unity. It's about spiritual maturity. It's about living a life. Look what it produces. It produces a life of worship. Even our worship changes. Ultimately, it's about thank. And ultimately, look where it leads to thankfulness. Singing, worshiping with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And the question I thought about last night as I, as I was contemplating this again is this. Is the primary influencer in your life the Word of God? Is the primary influencer in your life when you have decisions to make, when you're faced with things, when you're, when you're, is the primary influencer in your life the Word of God and the glory of God therein? The primary influence. Is the Word of God the thing that, that informs all of your decisions? Again, 2 Corinthians 10, taking every thought captive to the obedience of, of Christ. Do, do, do we discipline, or have we, have we by, in view of God's mercy and grace, discipline ourselves to take everything back to not is it, not can I, but do, what does the word inform and what does this mean for the people of God and the glory of God? It goes way beyond can I. Because Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 10, all things are lawful, but less what? Not all things are profitable. He goes on to say, saying, all things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. Anything. Not even my own desires. Not my own glory. None of that. Is it profitable as a believer? Is it profitable for the body? And again, we're simply giving out what we've received. That, again, that creates thankfulness. And thankfulness is at the center of our theological convictions. Thankfulness. And I want to give us some truth, just some all-encompassing truths. You see there, you see there on, your, on your handout, just some, some theological convictions regarding thankfulness. God alone is the source of our thankfulness. Which puts thankfulness in the realm of worship rather than simply something to help our interpersonal relationships. It's an, thankfulness is a, is a part of our worship. It's an expression of worship. And it's, and it's rooted in God. 
B, thankfulness is dedicated to God alone because He is the source of grace. It's rooted in God alone. It's dedicated. But thankfulness, C, is to be an identity marker for all believers because it flows from the grace of God. We are to be known as a thankful person. For again, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 17. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. And he takes it, he says, For this is the will of God, that his people rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Why? Because that brings him glory. And reflects that we have, we have a, a source of thankfulness that's beyond our circumstances. And it's interesting in Romans 1 that that, that is a direct contrast to non-believers. In verse 21 of chapter 1 of Romans, it's talking about non-believers and, and people who, who are experiencing, who will and are experiencing the wrath of God. He says, for even though they knew God, listen, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. Idolatry connected to simply refusing to give God thanks. Something as simple as thankfulness. And, and you see it on your handout. To, to insist on our self-sufficiency is idolatrous. In contrast, to give thanks to God is to acknowledge a dependence on Him. And that's what I was getting at earlier. That's what the studies were talking about. Simply Simply to say thank you to somebody acknowledges that they met a need you had. That's humbling. To say thank you. And you think about that with our salvation. We contributed nothing. All grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith of not of works, lest anyone would boast. In our salvation, God did something for us that we could not do on our own. That ought to be a source of tremendous thankfulness. That ought to be a source of, again, huge contrast in the life of a believer versus the life of a non-believer because we have a sovereign Father who is good, who has promised to be for us and not against us. Understanding, again, that the Word informs our lives that, look, the why behind this, it could simply be that He would get glory. The why behind what you're going through in your life could be that you would be conformed to His image and reflect Him more. Those are all biblical answers. To the why. Not about me. It's all, it's all about God and His glory. And again, pointing attention to the incomparable, to the unrivaled Christ. And again, why, thank, to say thank you, it takes all the attention off of me. And guess what? It reflects all the attention on the one who did something for me. Agreed? That's what you, when you say thank you, you're, reflect, you're deflecting all the attention, all the praise to someone else off of yourself when you say thank you. And that's the spirit that ought to mark the life of believer to the glory of God. Everything ultimately in our lives, look at verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, again, giving thanks through Him. Everything in our lives, what I'm, trying, what I'm growing in an understanding of and, a, and an appreciation of and really even a, a submission to in my own life and understanding is this. Everything about my life is ultimately to give glory to God. It is ultimately about the one who saved me. My entire existence 
is about the glory of my Savior. Every area of my life. And that's the why. Connecting everything back to our salvation. Even our salvation. The goal of, the goal of my salvation goes way beyond the simple forgiveness of my sins as if that were not enough. It's to His glory. Again, we looked at it a couple weeks ago. Psalm 25, Psalm 79. Lord, forgive us our iniquity for your glory. Psalm 42, Psalm 48. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not share my glory with another. All throughout the Word of God, everything God has ever done is to His glory and for His glory. Therefore, it makes, simple, it makes sense that he, were, that he would demand or command His people to do the same. It's all about His glory. And you see it on your handout. God is at work in our lives. His grace is flowing through us and to us, not primarily to make us happy or wealthy or prosperous or famous, but rather to make us Christ-like, that He would get the glory. And, we, and we've seen this. Verse 10 of chapter 1. Why all this? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. Verse 23, whatever you do, whether do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. It's always about Him. And that's worship. True worship, you see it there, is, is when our confession of Jesus Christ is manifested in a daily living that is focused on the glory of Christ. That's worship. Not what we do here for four songs. What we do here for four songs is an expression of, what, of gratitude for what we should have been doing, hopefully we're doing, all week. And today, what we're doing here is corporately, we're coming together in the midst of all of our circumstances, all the junk, all the persecutions, all the tribulations, all this distress, and we're looking around this room and saying, I'm not alone, that God is doing the same thing, that no temptation has overtaken me, such as common to man, I'm not alone, and we're encouraging one another, hang in there, 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 hang in there. That's what this is about. Hang in there. Listen, there's coming a day, Romans 8.18, that the present sufferings will not compare to the glory of God that is being revealed in us. There's coming a day. And until that day, hang in there. Until that day, keep making the most of your Savior. Until that day, take all things to the glory of God. Our entire life, and I understand this is not what the world, this is not what our flesh wants to hear, this is not what our culture wants to hear. Our entire life and existence is to be about the glory of our Savior, evidenced through thankfulness no matter the circumstance. Everything is about our Savior. And that's worship. That's worship. So the question becomes, whose glory am I living for? The question becomes, have I tried to compartmentalize areas of my life that I'm going to do this for my glory and then I'm going to do this for God's glory because it doesn't work. It's disobedient. Can, I, can we as a people honestly say that the Word of God is the, is the central influencer in our lives and in our decision making? Does it inform, is it what informs every, every area of my life? The why behind every area of my life? Is it 
the Word of God. And not only that, do, does, would you say to those around you that peace and thankfulness mark your life? And if not, why not? Maybe there's a... And I'm gonna, I'm not, this is in all of our lives. Maybe it's a failure to really, really grasp the gospel. Maybe it's a failure to really, really grasp that it's not about my glory, it's about God's glory. You see, because when circumstances come into my life that are not good, and if it's about my glory, now all of, if life is about my glory, all of a sudden these circumstances become enemies. But if circumstances come into my life and it's ultimately about God's glory and these circumstances conform me to the one who I'm being conformed to and they bring Him glory, see, now these circumstances can be seen in a different light. Challenging, but no longer competing because it's not about my glory. Ultimately, it matters greatly who the center of our lives is. And our circumstances competing or are they completing? Because the Word of God says circumstances, when it's about God's glory, they're completing His goal because they're conforming us. In all things, we are being conformed to the image of the One who saved us. But when it's about my glory, see, circumstances compete. And the goal of this body is for all of us to have the glory of God as, as the center, uttermost goal of everything we do. You see the unity that's built there? When all of us have the same goal? When all of us have the same desire, encouraging each other is more, is, is more effective, it's more purposed, helping, whatever we do, word of God richly dwelling in us, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, do everything to the glory of God.